and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42. This is the podcast from the guitar. The, I'm going to start that again because there's no, no such thing as a guitar. Is there? What's a guitar? Oh, you've got to leave that in. Oh, God, I'll leave it in. I'll leave it in. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK, which I've managed to say second time round. Um, my good friend, Jace Hunt, is on screen. Jace, how the hell are you? I'm very good, mate. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm recovering from the fact you've just told me, which is that something like 5,000 people have watched that live stream that we put out on Saturday night. I know. I keep looking at it and and then not looking at it and realising that 5,000 people have heard us wittering on. I know. I know. Do we know how far in those 5,000 people got? At least three minutes. Bloody hell. 5,000 people have heard us for three minutes or more. <laughs> It's the length of a pop song. It's, it's the length of a pop. Oh, yeah, indeed, indeed. And joining us today, and we're very excited today. We have Daryl Hyen, who has uh, described himself as rockabilly guitar player, because I asked him what, to be, what he wanted to be introduced as, and he's with us. And I'm looking at him on screen. Daryl, how are you? Lovely to be here. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, it was nice to have you here. It's nice to have you here. And one thing I'm going to say from the outset, because Jason and I were talking about questions before before you, you arrived. We were talking about the things we were going to ask. And as per normal, Jason's got a whole raft of questions, and I only have one. And the question I have is totally different from anything Jace wanted to ask you. So I'm going to give you an inkling now to let you know that you're not going to get away without talking about Sunderland oh. before the end. But we'll get to that further in. It'll be a very short conversation. If well, I'm a Sheffield United supporter, so <laughs> I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. So uh, I was going to commiserate with you a, a bit later on. <laughs> That's the right word, commiser- it, commiserate. It is, yeah. it is. It is. And I'm a West Brom fan, so you know oh. we're all in this together. We're all. Yes, in this. we are indeed. <laughs> well, we'll tell you what. Let's go there now, as we've started on it. So, <laughs> how the hell was it, Sunderland? Because you're clearly, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving anything away. That's not a northeastern accent, is it? No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, my family are all scattered, really, on my dad's side. He, he, his, I think his dad came from Liverpool, um, but his grandparents came from Sunderland. Right. Um, so he always supported Sunderland. And uh, my, my mother's family are all from um, South London. And, and uh, I've spent half my, well, over, over half my life living, living in and around London. So I, I probably have more of a London a- accent yeah. Um, depending on how many drinks I've had, really. Um, but 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 generally speaking, I always supported Sunderland. I grew up in a small village in Bedfordshire, so the only time we could ever go and see Sunderland play was if they were playing Luton. Right. Um, so Dad would take me to Luton, and we'd go and watch uh, watch them there. And um, so it all really depended on whether they were in the same um, league as as Luton. As Luton. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. which small village in Bedford was it? It was. It, it's called Upper Coldicott. Uh, so my wife's family comes from Marston, Mortain. Is Mortain, it? yeah, just down the road, yeah, in near Bedford, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. It, 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 nice area to grow up in. Beautiful, beautiful, very rural. You know, yeah. Only famous because apparently it's got a twisted spire, and the the devil leapt between two of the towers or something and twisted one of the spires. That's the I, story. 
I dare say he probably still does on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I put out the, the newsletter, uh, the Grace Notes Guitar Show newsletter the other week, and I, I'd mentioned that I'm reading this book that I'm holding up now, which is the Gretsch Electric Guitar book by Tony Bacon, uh, because I've just bought a White Falcon um, oh. that I actually haven't got yet because of COVID. Right. I bought it off eBay. Fortunately, if the guy that had it is in Southampton, which is just down the road from uh, my brother and sister-in-law. And um, so he was able to drop it off there. But I can't go and get it. So I bought this book um, to kind <laughs> of like ease the pain of not having this guitar. I've wanted a White Falcon since I was a teenager. Right. Um, but as a teenager, I couldn't really afford a White Falcon. And, um, and, and as I was flicking through it, well, reading it to the end there's a there's a chapter on you essentially and it, it kind of reminded me that we'd you'd done music live a couple of times i think at the nec when i ran that and uh, so i it was late at night and i jumped onto your website and filled out the contact form and uh, said oh, i don't know if you remember me blah 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 and you came back pretty quickly actually and went, yeah yeah i, I really remember that show and, and stuff which is why we're here today really so I suppose we should probably start with the Gretsch thing because that was the thing that kind of got me to get in touch with you. Um, and you've got a guitar, I was looking at it online earlier, that seems to be half a Falcon and half a 6120. Is that? That's right. Yeah, I had that built um, specially by Stephen Stern, who's the master builder there at uh, Gretsch, and he deals with all the custom shop um, uh, guitars. And it... It's something that I'd wanted to do for quite some time, really, was to have a, a big guitar like the Falcon, like the size of it. But I, I struggle with the neck on a on a normal uh, Falcon. I find them just a little bit too wide. I've just been used to that little dainty neck that you get on a sixty one twenty, um, which is odd because I've got very big big shovely type hands but uh, I do I do struggle with the Falcon I've always owned a Falcon since I can remember really back when I was perhaps in my mid-20s I've, I've I've always had a Falcon I don't te I don't tend to keep them very long the, the Falcon that I've got at the moment is the longest I've I've owned one and that's because I, I got it brand new whilst I was on tour with a Melder in America some years back and because it was brand new I've kept it because it's you know once a guitar is is yours it's it's uh, mm. it, you sort of tend to bond with it don't you but um I've, I've always kept it and i've just had some work done on it and it plays beautifully now but um generally i, I use it as a spare because my main guitar for gigging is this hybrid which is the body size of a falcon uh, it's got the falcon headstock but it's been finished as a 6120 so it's it's got the the sort of eddie cochran vibe which which is very important to me um and and uh but it's the size of a falcon i got a beautiful um 6120 which again is a custom shop that was made by steven in 2008 um but that's that's such a precious guitar to me because it's 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 like having a an original 55 6120 but of course it's a modern guitar mm. and um it's made exactly the same way as they were made in the mid 50s so it's a very light guitar it's very fragile and i used to gig it but um it's just too precious for that so i keep it at home and use it for recordings and things like that so is the do they sound different then the half falcon half 6120 is, is it uh, does it have its own sound 
It's it, it does really. I mean, I use the same pickups in every guitar I've got. Really, I mean, I I, I or certainly a guitar that's going to be my main gigging guitar. Mm. It'll always have a a Diamond or a Dynasonic on on the, on the uh, bridge, and a P90 on on the neck. And that comes from Eddie Cochran. That's his influence. And I've always stuck with that because if it was good enough for him, it's, it's good enough for everybody in the world, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but but, it, but it's, it's a beautiful combination, actually. It's a very nice combination because you've got the option to have a more jazzy tone, should you need it. But you've also got that brittle, trebly rock and roll sound. Uh, and it's there naturally. You don't... It, I mean, the great thing about that pickup combination is that... Um, you can sort of get away with with quite a range of amps as well uh, and which is great when you're playing abroad uh, or a festivals and you don't know what amps going to be provided for you you know because we do a lot of work abroad at festivals and I can't bring an amp with me so you know I try and specify what I want but more often than not it's the exact opposite of what I want and uh, but at least I know with the guitar I'm going to get a, a fairly true sound how many times have you turned up and they've gone we've got you a PV it's a 5150 high gain head. <laughs> well, in, in recent years, I've been quite lucky, really, because I think people will, will tend to get me what, what, I, what I ask for, because I, I offer two, um, uh, two, two options, really. The, the, the Delta Blues, which is obviously my first uh, option, is, is the one that I would rather have, but also I'm happy with a PV Classic, and, and I think Classics are a lot, of, lot easier to get than the Delta Blues, from my experience, you know, so generally i get what i want and and uh, and i'm quite happy with that but you know i'll, I'll use a fender uh, uh, all i specify is it has a, a drive channel um so i don't have to bring a load of pedals with me you know um but if it's got a drive channel then i can get the sound i want i was talking to um simon bradley earlier who yeah i know you, simon well yeah. yeah you know simon and he said ask him about his zoom it, well, actually, he said, ask him about his shitty little Zoom FX. <laughs> yes, he was never terribly impressed with that, I, and 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 I guess I guess most guitar players would probably uh, wouldn't be very impressed with it as well. But I think they're great. I mean, I've always had a Zoom pedal since the. I remember buying my first Zoom pedal from Union Street Music in Bedford. Must have been in the in the late eighties, early nineties, whenever they first started making them. I can't remember mm. because they've 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 upgraded the pedal several times over the years and the 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 one i i use at the moment is the is the g2 um so i bought it really because it was inexpensive and and it did quite a lot of jobs in in one little box you know i could get echo i could get reverb i could get tremolo i could get you know all sorts of things but also the handy thing was that you could you could mute the guitar and tune it. You could use it as a tuning thing, you know. So that was that was really quite important. And 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 so I bought it because I couldn't afford anything else at the time. But then as as, as the years have gone by, I, I I see no need to really change it because it just does what I want it to do. And uh, very often I, I would I will just use that. That's the only pedal I will use. Um, I mean, I did go through a stage with a melder where I thought I needed to change my sound a little bit because uh, I wasn't changing guitars. I was—I only ever used really the one the one guitar mainly, you know. Um, and and I felt that with her music, there were times when perhaps a different sound would be agreeable, you know, uh, or help break things up. 
Um, so I started to experiment with pedals a little bit, but it just it 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 it, it I just found it too confusing. So um and in the end she just said well look you know i'm happy with the sound you've got so you know don't don't worry about it i mean it, it works so so don't don't mess around with something that's that's not broken you know mm. um so i've just kept uh, kept it at, at using the zoom live um in the studio i mean i tend to use whatever's on the board really i don't i don't bring effects into the studio um because that can all be added later um so i i don't i don't really effects are not something that, that I've ever really given a tremendous amount of thought to over the years. It's more of a practical thing. As long as it does the job, I'm happy. <laughs> so talking of um, sort of playing for Imelda, your career, you seem to have two careers that run sort of like parallel to each other. So you do your solo stuff mm. and, and you've played with a lot of uh, names. I mean, you know, you, I think you've toured with Robert Plant, uh, Shaking Stevens, which is what me and Ant got quite excited about talking about Steve. <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean if, I, you know I, because we're kind of the same age i mean i'm 51 you're 51 as well i think mm, aren't you? that's right yeah. and you know my first i'm not time, quite 50 yet just, uh, yeah, I, can only, I can only say that one more time yeah it's, it's <laughs> days away isn't it well um, three weeks but thank thanks for you know <laughs> you're, you're wearing well that's a good way and, of looking at it and, and shaking stevens and Adamant were kind of like my introduction to sort of like pop music, which was about 1981, something mm. like that. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm just quite intrigued to know what it's like, you know, playing for Shaking Stevens. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, the, to be honest with you, I never, I never, I always saw myself as a guitarist first and foremost, you know, so I was, I, I, I never thought I was going to uh, be a singer, but the, the thing about being a singer and a guitarist is that it's one less person to pay in the band <laughs> if you could do the two things at once so that was that was that was very tempting and and so I, I I started up my own band really again out of necessity and because I thought it was more practical but um as a solo artist I mean I've never had the success that that I've had as a guitar player mm. and I enjoy being a guitar player perhaps a touch more although I enjoy both you know obviously but yeah, I mean, the great thing about being a session guy, especially if you play a niche form of music, which, which I do, I, I can't play anything other than rockabilly at all um, with any conviction or, or authenticity or skill, <laughs> for that matter. But I can I can play rockabilly well, and and occasionally you get asked to work with some very interesting people. I mean, I've only recorded with Robert. I've never, get, I've never toured right. with him or gigged with him. Um, but yeah, I worked with Shaking Stevens. I toured with Jeff Beck. Obviously, when you work with Jeff Beck, you don't really play guitar very much, do you? There's no, no real need to do that. Um, but but um, you do. It's very interesting working with people like that because you you get to see how it works on that sort of on that sort of level. I mean, the first gig I did with Shaking Stevens was in Glasgow, and it was like. Well, it was like the height of his fame. I mean, I went to see him in 83 at the Hammersmith Odeon. And, or 82, I think it might have been even 82, when he was um, uh, touring the Give Me Your Heart Tonight album. And, I mean, it was pandemonium. He was a pop star, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then fast forward to 99, and it was like nothing had changed. The, the audience went crazy as soon as he walked out on stage. It was unbelievable. So, you know, it's nice to it's nice to see that sort of thing, nice to be a part of it. But of course, when when 
Amelda's career really started taking off. That was very interesting because we'd we'd started off in the barflies and the really small clubs, you know, and playing in front of nobody. And and um, some some clubs that we we played at in London that we were told were really cool places to play, and you never know who's going to be in the audience. Well, <laughs> we knew who was in the audience. It was the other band members that were playing on the same <laughs> bill as us, you know, and. Uh, and 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 the and the woman that was taking the coats at the door that was supposed to pay for you, pay, pay you at the end of the night, had, had left sort of ten minutes before the before the last band had finished, so you didn't even get your money. Um, all that sort of thing happened a great deal. And then fr- to go from that to to supporting Jules Holland and uh, you know our first gig in, in Camden, the first time we played in front of a thousand people that were paying in to see us to mm. see Amelda. Um, was at Coco's in Camden and you know then then getting the TV show later with Jules and um, I mean to to experience that from the bottom to the top was incredible and then of course you know a couple of top 10 albums in the UK and three number one albums in in Ireland you know I mean it was it was unbelievable we we never expected that you know we'd got to I think I was at the stage in my life, really, or career. I think I was about, I think I was 38 when Amelda's success started happening, or, or perhaps a little bit younger. But, but, um, you know, I, I just thought my lot in life was to was to just um, carry on playing the clubs on the rock and roll scene and just eke out a living. You know, just about eke out a living, which, you know, I've always been able to do. But, you know, it was it was quite incredible and. Um, you know, it was it was wonderful while it lasted. You know, mm. you you said there about you know you never you've never played any other star with any kind of conviction. Um, would you say that looking at some of the people you played with, um, they clearly come to you for a sound? I mean, and obviously you can you can see how that would work with with what Shaky does. I mean, uh, you know, that, that makes perfect sense. But with some of the other artists, it's not as obvious. Does that tend to tie in when they're going through a particular stage in their career? They're chasing a particular sound in that particular project and you you become the guy to to provide that? Generally speaking, yes. I mean, the Shaky thing was difficult because I was having to follow people like Mickey G and and, and Albert Lee that had played on, on his early records and, and on the hit records. Mickey G was a phenomenal player. Um, and that's a very different style to what I play. Um, it's it's much more there's much more finesse in what in what Rick, uh, Mickey did. Um, whereas I'm I'm more of a hit and hope, you know. And um, uh, and and I, I like to bring aggression to what I do because mm. I the thing that's always attracted me to rockabilly is its aggression. Mm. It's it's, it, it's it, especially with the guitar. I mean, it's it's unbelievably aggressive because it's very rhythmic. You know, and um, so you can put in as much as much power into the solos as you want, or you can be as as clever as you want with it. You know, you can be a bit jazzy, or, or put in some Mel Travis, and and it and it, and it brings in a, it soaks up a lot of influences. Rockabilly does, but I've I, I mean I always used to lament when when I'd see a big artist do something with Rockabilly, and they were just getting generic session players. You know, I always thought, well, that's a real shame. That's a missed opportunity to do something a bit more authentic, you know. Um, so, you know, it's nice to be in a position where you get a call from people from time to time, but it doesn't happen very often, and and, and rightly so. What I do is so niche, you know, and I, I've always understood that, and and, and 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 that goes with the territory. You don't often get 
work that takes you outside of the scene that I, I work on. But, you know, when it does come about, it's always very welcome and always very interesting. I just wonder whether, because pop music in general is quite bland uh, and um, very samey at the moment, hmm. that there the must be kids that were like me that kind of went off and found something a bit more underground when I was a teenager and kind of latched onto that. I mean, for me, um, I didn't really get Duran Duran, Wham and Spandau Ballet when I was a teenager. So hmm. I ended up with the Pistols and the Clash. You know, and then went back further through the stones and stuff like that to Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf and stuff like that. So I was completely out of step with what most people were listening to as a teenager. Just wondered if you've seen a, an increase of like younger people joining the scene over the last few years? Well, it's a very old scene, Rockabilly. You know, it's been around since the 70s, uh, the late 70s. So it goes through fits and starts where sometimes it will feel like it's stagnating um, and then sometimes you'll get a little burst of of youthful enthusiasm coming in from somewhere I mean if you used to go to say the rockabilly rave which is the biggest rockabilly themed weekender in the country and there'll generally always be a couple of thousand people there once a year every June mm. uh, if, you, if you used to walk in there and look around the room you'd see a lot of people our age but you'd also see a lot of people in their early 20s, you know. And and you would say, well, you know, it's, it's looking pretty healthy, the rockabilly scene. Well, you know, but that's one weekender, you know, uh, once a year. And it's mm -hmm. only 2,000 people. And 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 so it gives a false impression of, of how well the scene is doing. Because those young people are scattered all around the country or indeed coming in from Europe as well. So, you know, it... it, it, it like all um, sort of underground cult uh, musical forms, it, 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 it struggles from time to time, but it's always there. It never goes anywhere. Mm. You know, there's always a weekend event. I can't tell you how many rock or, 50s rock and roll, rockabilly weekenders there are in this country alone. Um, but then if you add in Europe as well, you've got a lot of work there as a band. And of course, we've still got our club scene as well. We've got record labels that are dedicated to, to, to the music and uh, people that make the clothes and, you know, the, everything that goes with the lifestyle. I mean, it's always been kind of a, a cottage industry in that respect, but it just keeps going and, and, you know, it does inspire that loyalty from people that get into it. But also it inspires people that are just interested in fashions to just kind of drift in and then drift out again, you know? So. Yeah, I, I must thank you, actually, because on your website, you've got links to some of the clothing brands. And I was having a look at them earlier. And you won't believe how many times I've typed box jacket into <laughs> Google search because I really yeah. want to buy one. Yeah. And, and nothing comes up. And then I'm on your website and there it is, box yeah. jacket. So um, I'll be purchasing one of those later today. Thank you. Oh, well, good on you. I mean, tell them I sent you. I mean, they might, they might, they might do me a deal next time I contact them. <laughs> I don't care if you get a deal, Jace. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. <laughs> just want to pick back up on one thing you said about um, you were attracted to it because it's a fairly aggressive um, kind of form of, of music. Um, and and I, I was watching some clips of you playing fairly recently. Uh, I don't know if you were playing a festival or something, but um, is, is 
and you do play you do play with with a certain amount of gusto shall we say um is it is that partly down to the format to the three piece format that you're carrying a lot of the momentum of the you know of of the actual music so therefore that kind of you know there's there's all that rhythm there's all that that drive you know it reminded me a little bit of lennon saying that he wasn't a great guitar player but he could make the thing absolutely howl and scream and shout and and and, and create something yeah i mean it falls on me to play melodies and rhythms and you know i have to sit in with the drums and the bass but i also have to play the solos and mm. and uh so yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of weight on my shoulders on, on, a, on, a, on a gig. But I mean, obviously, when I was when I was getting into the music, when I first started playing, I mean, it was a very different ball game to, to how I play the music now. There was a lot of youthful enthusiasm back then, you know, which <laughs> which uh, does tend to drift away as you get on. But I mean, uh, uh, but again, you, like all me, I always say this: you're only as good as your audience. You know, if you're playing in front of an audience that, that are really into what you're doing and and give you that feedback, if it, it, it inspires you, uh, we tend to get that more from festivals abroad. Traditionally, we 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 would get that reaction abroad, so we would always play much more aggressively abroad than we than we would in a in a in a rock and roll club in in you know in the UK, uh, or even a rock and roll weekender in in the UK. You know, we. we you play to your audience and uh so that's the way we've always done things so we have we have two sides to us with the enforcers with my band the enforcers if we're playing in a, a generic rock and roll club we will just play nice and steady all night we'll give them what they want because they want to dance they want to jive they want to play to a set beat but you know if we're playing in front of an audience where that's not important then we'll just we'll, we'll just jump around and do whatever we want you Rip know it up a bit mm. So we were both we both ended up um, separately watching the same video footage of you in Finland that was last summer. Yeah, it's the only gig I've done since March last year. Yeah. So, so what what have you been doing um, in this period? Because I know you own a recording studio, don't you, Embassy? Um, have you been re- writing, recording, or you know, I mean, what what's life been like um, in lockdown? Well, it's been very tough. I mean, you know, if, if you're a professional musician, I mean, to have your livelihood taken away from you, you know, it's it's very, very tough. Um, and I've found that, you know, I'm having to do three times the amount of work for a third of the money. Mm. And, um, and I struggle with that. I don't struggle with the, you know, getting on and doing it. I, I, I do what I do, I enjoy it, but I just struggle that we're in that position. Mm. Um, I find it all very strange. Of course, you don't want to say too much about it because, you know, you can get destroyed for just having an opinion these days, you know. So, you know, but what I have discovered is it seems like a lot of people, the vast majority of people seem to be okay. They're working, you know, they're they're getting their money. Um, And there's a minority of us that, you know, if you're looking at 68 million people in this country, there's probably a few million of us that aren't earning and are struggling or obviously there's people out there struggling far more than i am um but um and i and i just think that's that's a great shame let's put it that way but i've just like anything that's ever happened to me where it's 
been bad, I just put my head down and get on with it because I find that's the best way of dealing with 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 the with the the nastiness that life can throw at you sometimes nobody's going to going to help you so you just put your head down and get on with it so i just decided to write some more songs i'd always wanted to record a christmas album believe it or not and and i wanted to write most or all of the songs for it so i decided that i would write a rockabilly christmas album make it a real fun upbeat silly album which is exactly what it is and um then I decided that I was going to record some backing tracks because I thought that, you know, once once um, things restrictions start easing off a little bit, there may be work for solo artists, so recording backing tracks might be might be helpful. Um, streaming gigs, which never never really amounted to anything, to be honest with you. Um, of course, I, d- I did the rockabilly. 100 rockabilly guitar licks uh, book for mm. fundamental changes which to be honest with you that and the christmas album got me out of a tremendous amount of uh, trouble um financially so those two things were, were were a godsend but everything else you know i mean the i put some albums up on Bandcamp of unreleased stuff and you know that will tick along for a while then just stop so it, it's all of these things they kind of you know they 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 sort of help you know um but but it's it's a, it's without gigs i mean it's it seems almost pointless to 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 even consider a, a career in music you know oh i don't just tell me about it i mean i'm i'm an event manager that's not allowed to run an event mm. you know it's just it it just sucks i mean i i understand the situation i understand like you say that the vast majority of people are absolutely fine mm. but you know it it, it doesn't help you know, I've not been eligible for any of the grants and stuff like that. You just have mm. to kind of get on with it, don't you? There's no other way. Um, and as I say, even expressing an opinion that, that is, you know, maybe seen to be, you know, uh, contrary to the narrative, it will get you slaughtered these days. And, and people don't want to hear musicians sitting there moaning. They just don't. They don't want to hear musicians going about politics or anything like that because everyone has to worry about all of these things. Everyone's in the same boat to a degree. You know, some are, some are doing obviously better than others, but but I just find that, you know, it's you have to live with the frustration of it, and that that's the only thing that kind of gets me down. I mean, I don't, I don't, um, I, you know, I don't have to worry about the, 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 the really important things in life. We, we can eat, we, 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 we can pay our bills, we, we get by um uh but but i just i just um i just struggle with with how everything's been just shut down so quickly and 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 the length of time it's going to take for it to open back up again and and the worry of course of well is this the way it's going to be in the future if if there's a particularly nasty flu outbreak in a couple of years time our pub's going to close you know i mean we can't live like that really i mean i know most people can but those of us that rely on on um pubs opening and clubs being open to 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 entertain people it will just be a waste of time won't it you know and and that seems very unfair well um, and he said the thing is it's there's a few things there that are all bundled together because you've got the sheer fact that everything's shut so that's one Hmm. then you've got the fact that 
you know, people in the creative arts seem to have, individuals in the creative arts seem to have fallen through the cracks with any government support. Absolutely, yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's all right giving money as, as I think he's done to get, a, you know, in the budget today, I think he's given some more money to venues and what have you and museums and this, that and the other, and that's fine. But they got a tranche of money earlier on as well. But it's, you know, it's not helping the musicians, the front of house engineers, the monitor engineers, the lighting guys, not helping any of these people. And we've got incredible amounts of talent in our country in all of those fields. Um, and then, of course, when we do get out of it, we've got to deal with the shit that Brexit's going to bring in terms of how else, how do you go and, you know, can you go and play a, a one-off festival? Is it financially viable to, to, to jump on a plane with a guitar when you've got a short window you know what what what's the admin going to be what's the cost going to be of doing those things because in the past they were very doable and that's right know, and we mm. know brexit's not going to be good for you know for for musicians and people creative people wanting to do in out jobs across across europe well uh, you know i mean no no nobody wants to appear unsympathetic towards the fact that first of all with the the, the virus and the pandemic that yeah. you know we, we, people have lost their lives you know, it, no, nobody, nobody yeah. wants to appear to be unsympathetic, and 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 I know people that have lost people, and you know they have my full sympathy, and 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 and, and you know I feel terribly sorry for them. It hasn't affected me or anyone in my family, but I can only deal with what life throws at me. Yeah. You know, it's I can always, you know, it's you can always look at other people and say, God love them. You know, I'm, I'm, I hope they they get out of this trouble that they're in, or I hope that they they get through this, but. At the end of the day, I've still got to deal with what life throws at me and what life, you know, that's how we live our lives. It's the only way you can live your lives, really, to a, to a degree, and function as a human being. So you've got to have sympathy and empathy and that kind of a thing, but we've still got to, unfortunately, earn a living and and do what we do. And and uh, so, you know, that side of things has been has been very tough. Um, as for the Brexit thing, I mean, I'm I'm getting a lot of uh, inquiries from Europe. Uh, traditionally, we've always played festivals abroad, um, and and generally, you know, you'll fly over on the on the Friday, you play on the Saturday, you fly back on the Sunday. Um, we don't tour, you know. I mean, I thought I knew what touring was until Amelda's success, and I'd never experienced proper touring, you know. Mm. Um, where you're away for sometimes six, seven, eight months, you know, and um, I've never experienced anything like that before. So that's going to, I think that will affect artists of that sort of level. Mm. Um, but again, it's all administration and money, isn't it? I mean, you know, I remember when we used to have to get um, visas to go to America uh, with Imelda. I mean, we had to go to um, the US Embassy but we'd go there, we'd we'd queue up, then we'd go through, and it was all sorted out because it had all been paid for by the record company. I mean, all we had to do was just turn up. You know, we didn't have to sweat and fill out the forms. And believe me, I've done that when I've gone to Australia and America in the past, and I've had to have a visa. You know, I, I haven't had a manager or tour managers to do that, or a record company to fund it. I've had to do it myself. So I know how difficult it is. But <coughs> if you're at that sort of level, the artists themselves don't have to worry about anything. They just turn up. And it's all done for them, but they'd still have to turn up, and and um, so I don't think it will affect the, the 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 artists so much, other than you know money has to change hands, but that's just the way the world goes around. I mean, I I don't think it's going to affect us on the level that we're at because we're we're flying in and flying out, mm. 
you know, there will be a, a visa, and and but I'm, I'm sure that that will be swallowed from the costs. Um, that will be factored into the cost by the by the promoter, and most promoters, even on the rockabilly scene, have to deal with bringing in Australian and American artists. So they're well versed in how to sort out a visa, you know. Um, so I'd, I I I don't think it will it will it will do a great deal. F- looking at it purely from my situation, how it will affect other musicians, I don't really know. But you see, it doesn't really matter. Nothing is. There's never been a government in my lifetime that has ever sat down and said, do you know what, we should really help musicians out in this country. <laughs> no. They've just never done it. So, you know, I know musicians you know, always want to look at something to, to, to point a finger at and say, well, it's, it's that, that's the reason. You know, that's the reason why we struggle. Well, it's not. There's loads of reasons. And, and the main one, really, is that the vast majority of people don't really care. You know, they... they nowadays it's all spotify isn't it you know and if i if i play at a club and there's 100 150 people there well i think that's 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 a miracle you know um it's it's that's just the way most people don't share the the passion for music that that we do you know those that make it and promote it and write about it and so on and so forth we're we're in the minority and always have been and and nothing is is ever made easy for us. I mean, I remember when karaoke became popular and pubs started getting a license, so they they could they could just do karaoke as a as a way of getting out of paying bands. Play. Oh, and then of course the music license, where you know you could only have duos playing a pub. Mm. You know things like there's always something that has been put in place to make our life more difficult. Even councils now. I mean, theoretically. You could turn up at a gig and somebody from the council could come up to you and say, well, we need to see all the paperwork on your equipment that's all up to date and, you know, that it's not going to set fire to the place yeah, and blow tested. up. And there testing, you go. Yeah. I mean, it's never happened to me, but it could, theoretically. Mm. So there's not just one thing. It's lots and lots of things. But the, the main problem is is that people nowadays just pay £10 a month and, to, and, and, and get their music through Spotify. You know, that's that's the the biggest evil as far as I'm concerned, you know. Um but but you know, there's people out there that love that and I would think I'm I'm a, a moron for even suggesting otherwise. But you know, I, I, I just think that there's lots of things that are out there to make our life more difficult and we just have to get on with it. I did a gig once, um I don't know if you've ever played there. It, it uh, it's closed down now, but it was a venue in Birmingham called the Hibernian, um, which was a great it was a great venue in terms of we actually had a dressing room rather than the toilets. It wasn't <laughs> a very big dressing room, but we actually had a dressing room. Yeah. And uh, we went out and we were, it was an all day. And we were the, I, I loathe to say we were the headliners. We were the last band on on the day. We <laughs> definitely weren't the headliners. And uh, we went out into this room and there was like four people there. Uh, so, we, you know, and it, you, you've got to play the gig, haven't you? Because there's yeah. four people there. So you do yeah. the gig. And then, um, so we finished at 10, something like that. And uh, they'd shut the bar at that point in the room that we were playing. And they sent, they said, well, if you want to be, you'll have to go into the main pub. And I walked into the main pub and there was about 250 people in there and a karaoke yeah. in the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I know all about that. I mean, I remember going, driving off to a gig in Norwich many years ago, probably in the late 80s, early 90s. Getting there, setting the gear up, and seeing a whole room full of it was a big, big room. So there must be two, three hundred people there. 
all come in, dancing away, listening to the music, having a great time. And as soon as we went on, they all left and went into the bar in the next room. You know, I mean, yeah, that's that's what you've always been up against. And mm. and uh, you know, I mean, you can get angry about lots of things. Uh, I try not to get angry, if I'm honest with you, because I've got enough to have to worry about just trying to make a living out of it, you know? So I don't want to have to keep getting angry every time something pops up that, that would ordinarily... And I do get angry, unfortunately. My girlfriend has to put up with it and she thinks I'm a miserable old sod. But, I mean, I, d I, don't, I don't think I am, really. But, you know, the thing is, there's lots of things... Uh, there's lots of obstacles put in your way, let's put it that way. Um, but I think if you, if you believe in, in what you're doing and if you enjoy what you're doing, then, then, you know that's that's half the battle, really, and that will get you over a lot of, a lot of uh, obstacles. But, and it's not even that I think I'm creating art or that I think I'm wonderful, or it's just you know I I can do it, so I I, I enjoy doing it, you know, and and w when the day comes when I don't enjoy playing anymore, I won't do it. To lighten the mood, I was on your Facebook page earlier. And I saw a post that you'd done about uh, writing your or recording your Christmas album. Yeah. And it reminded me of um, Slade because they recorded it in the height of summer as well. There, Merry Christmas, everybody. And there was a picture of you in the blazing sun above <laughs> you. Yeah. So how on earth do you get yourself in the mood to record a Christmas album in the middle of summer? And we had a glorious summer as well. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I, I always remember that story of when Elvis recorded his Christmas album. He recorded it in the summer as well. And I think they they brought a Christmas tree into the studio in Nashville where he recorded it and uh, and put the lights down and made it all look very Christmassy. And uh, I couldn't do that, unfortunately. But uh, no, I just, I, I, I love Christmas. And of course, I, I've, my daughter is, is still only eight years old. So the last you know few years, Christmas has been absolutely wonderful because I'm, I'm sort of living it through her again, you know. Mm. Um, so I... I've had a, I've had a, I've had a, a great few Christmases, and and I really love getting into the spirit of it. I just find people are generally nicer to one another at Christmas time, you know. So make the most of it because the rest of the year we're all trying to kill each other for <laughs> one reason or another. Um, but um, I thought that uh, a Christmas album would just be a really fun thing to do, and uh, it it was very enjoyable. Even though I, I played all the instruments, so I didn't, I wasn't doing it with a band as such. Um, I still, I still really enjoyed it, and uh, and it, and it, and it's a really fun, happy, upbeat album, which you know you don't have to think about. It. You just put it on, it's, and and dance to it. That's what it was created for, for people to dance to, as opposed to trying to be, you know, socially aware with the lyrics, you know, which <laughs> which, which, you, which you kind of struggle with with rockabilly anyway, you know. <laughs> so, so you recorded everything. So you're the drummer as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm a terrible drummer. I mean, just absolutely appalling. I mean, I'm a good. I can play the double bass well. I love playing the double bass, but I I don't uh, I don't enjoy playing the drums. And and again, I do it out of necessity. Um, but I can. I got to the point now where I can, um, you know, I can do a drum roll, you know, and not and not and not and not sort of drop the sticks. Uh, or, or fall off the, the, the drum stool, um, but you know I, I'm I'm a pretty appalling drummer. But um, the thing about rockabilly is, is just creating the vibe. I mean, it's a roots music, and so it, mm. it, it relies on feel 
more than sort of technical um, brilliance as such. But 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 again, you know, there's there's you know since the fifties have been great rockabilly drummers and bass players, there's all great rockabilly musicians. Um, but uh, but the feel is more important. So I think we we captured that. Excellent. I, I just don't know how you go about. I don't know which instrument do you play first, and how do you keep in time. Well, I got this wonderful little drum machine thing which I bought years ago, and it's um, it's sampled off of real off of a real kit, mm. you know. So, um, and you can program in a, a kick snare and a hi hat, um, and you can ch- change it to whatever beat you need it to be, you know. So, if I want a swing beat, you know, then then I'll create a swing beat. So I've got the basis, a pretty good basis actually, which won't go out of time at all. And I'll sing and play acoustic guitar, and then I'll do the bass, and then I'll do the guitars, and then I'll so acoustic guitars and you know lead and electric rhythm if it's needed. Then do the drums to the guide vocals that are still on there. And then of course the very last thing is I'll get rid of the guide vocal and an acoustic guitar and do the vocals last so by then it's a full track yeah did you have them all set up at separate stations and we just like jump did did you do all of the rhythm tracks first and then each song in or did you do like one complete song and then the next complete song well because it was all done no i would i would go i'd go through them depending on whatever instrument i was on so i would spend uh, with, with with that album, it probably took me, I'm thinking, probably three or four days to do that album. It was 12 tracks. So I would have spent a day on the guitars and probably would have got the bass done as well. And then a, a, a day on the drums. Um but I don't I don't hang I don't hang around and I've got a the we've got a great engineer that works at uh, embassy graham domini he and i've worked together a great deal over the years in fact i, I met him with Amelda when we we uh we we did some sessions at um livingston studios in wood in wood green which is a fabulous studio um and that's where we first met graham and he moved out to to andover which is not a million miles away from where the studio is in near basingstoke and uh, so he's become our sort of in-house engineer and um so i there's there's a certain amount of stuff i can do by myself in there so i can do guitars and things like that by myself and the bass by myself but drums you know i need somebody in there to press play and record you yeah. know um i mean i have done it by myself where i would i would uh, i'd have to sort of record like 20 seconds of nothing leading up to the song so it gives me time to get out of the control room and into the <laughs> behind the drum kit, you know. And you drop so, your sticks and then oh, it all yeah. starts. And it, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I've done all of that kind of thing in the past, but um, so Graham helps out immeasurably, and so I'll spend a day on each on each thing. But as I say, guitars and things like that don't take me too long, and then I can usually fit the bass in as well. Acoustic guitar, I mean, you just. It's, it's however long the song lasts for, you know, and so it's a two, three minute song. Yeah, you've got 12 of them. I mean, it's, you know, you're not lo- you're not, not even looking at an hour, are you, of work? So. Um, it depends I, on how many mistakes you make. I'm thinking about myself here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I never write songs with more than three chords in, generally speaking, because I think, you know, anything, anything, anything uh, more than three chords, you're going into jazz territory, and that frightens me, you know. So 
I'm not I'm not going to go too far along those lines but you know it's 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 a very I mean I know this music inside and out I've done it ever since I was a teenager so I know uh, you know the the easiest way to do it and all the shortcuts and 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 so it's very easy for me to do an album all by myself and and get it all done within you know two three three days sometimes Uh, did I read the embassy is an analog studio well, it was when we first started it up. I mean, it was it was we my 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 partner uh, Clive Duffin, a business partner. We run Am- Ambassador Records together, which was the label that uh, Amelda's Love Tattoo first came out on, before we leased it to to Universal. Um, this is just a small little label. We rarely put stuff out on it, but but we've always had the label. But Clive had a record label called Foot Tapping Records. And I met him in the early 2000s. And um, we we had this idea of, of having a recording studio. We thought because of the amount of material he was releasing, it would be better in the, in the long term to have our own recording studio. So we experimented with a couple of ideas. And then in the end, we, we decided to build a studio on a, on a, on a, a building that was already built on a, on a farm in uh, uh in hampshire and so we gutted this place and built a studio inside it and then um the deal really was that um i would handle the sort of engineering side of things and clive would would put the the the, the, the bands out on his label and um so initially um i had experience with uh tapes and reel-to-reel and things like that so we got in a Fostex, I think it was a B16, or it might have been an E16, um, and a, just a cheap desk that we got from, I can't remember where we got that from, but it was a Behringer, so it was a very cheap 24-track desk, um, and very little outboard stuff. Didn't really need compression, to be honest with you, because the tape did all of that. You know, we got sort of natural mm-hmm. tape compression, and because and we were only... Ex- dealing with rockabilly bands and rock and roll bands we we didn't feel we needed a, a tremendous amount of outboard stuff and so we didn't we didn't bother with it um but as time went on and certainly when we we came to record love tattoo we realized that because love tattoo was all recorded on on tape um and and uh, and i engineered all of that and and it turned out really well but the one thing that we didn't have in the studio at the time was a, a piano um and we felt that we needed an upright piano so we asked around to find out what was a good upright um and we was told i think it was a, <clears throat> a yamaha b3 or something um so we bought one of them and that was the 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 piano that's that's in the studio now and it was used on love tattoos been used lots of times over the years um and uh and then we bought in an alesis uh, uh, H, uh hard drive um because we th- we thought that we were going to need to go digital at some point and i was i was very leery of pro tools and things like that i didn't think i had the the um well the enthusiasm really to learn how to 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 use something like that so we bought this alesis thing in and and that was great initially because it was so easy to use and, uh, and and cut session times down, you know, so so much because you just press a button and it all goes back to the beginning again, you know, mm. instantaneously. Whereas with a tape, you've got to wait for it to rewind, then you've got to change it and all that kind of a thing. 
and over the course of a day with a band in there you know that can that can eat into the time you know um but the thing that i realized was that recording directly onto digital especially with the sort of music that we specialize in um i now had to work out how to use compression and try and make it sound like it was recorded on tape <laughs> you know um uh, uh, and then eventually uh, graham came in and he uses pro pro tools he's a he's a professional engineer you know i mean i was just i was just falling falling around with the with the with the idea of being an engineer, I didn't really have the personality for it, if I'm honest with you, um, and and I and I didn't really enjoy doing it. So it was just another one of those things that I I tried to do to sort of bring in a bit of work and earn a bit of money during the week. But um, and 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 I was very busy at it for for the early years at Embassy. But as soon as Amelda's success, I mean Amelda started having success in. Well, I guess from sort of 2008 onwards, and Embassy was finished in 2005, so it was only like a three-year period where I was doing a lot of the sessions, or all of the sessions down there as the engineer, mm. and then and then I was off with Amelda for the next few years, you know, so it um, it, it wasn't a, a, a career as such, but it but uh, and and really the studio is run by by Clive. I mean, I I, I have very little to do with it. Um, and um, uh, but I can use it obviously for, for whenever whenever I need to. But I've I've got a lot of stuff here at the house now, so you know I'm I'm, I'm quite happy recording here as well. You know. Also, I suppose um, what's next? I see that you've got a gig planned for the third of July. Well, I think it will just be uh, going back to to what we've been doing the last few years you know just waiting for the club scene to 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 get back to normal and the weekenders and it would just be going back to to that again i, I i'm not really sure what you, you see that's the great thing about this job is that you, you, you never quite know what's going to happen um the phone could ring and and it'll just take you off in a different direction um so i, I don't really know what's going to happen i mean i'm I'm pretty much up for anything, you know, that 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 comes along. But but I think certainly for the immediate future, it will just be a case of uh, just hoping that the clubs and the weekenders get back to strength, full strength, and that we can go out and and and, and play and and um, make a living from it once again. Cool. I can't. I I can't really see, you know, any. And as I say, if if it does turn out to be one of those things where lockdowns are are going to be something that we do have to put up with from time to time, even if it's just shutting down, you know, parts of the hospitality um, industry. Well, that's again something we're going to have to think about, isn't it? But 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 let's hope that's not the case, and that you know yeah. we can get back to normality. We do tend to have a pandemic every hundred years, um, so unless unless us lot are going to be hundred and fifty. I think we might avoid the next one. Well, I'm, I'm planning on it. You well, know, I, I've got to I, be I honest with you. I mean, it's in my yeah, it's in my time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I take me vitamin D every day, and <laughs> you know, I, I do expect to, you know. But anyway, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I as I say, it's 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 a wonderful pr profession to be in because you just don't know if you're going to get an email or a, or a phone call that's going to change your life. Uh, and it does happen. It does happen. Mm. I mean, that's that's what you work towards, isn't it? I mean, it's like playing the lottery, isn't it? You you, you play it because you hope you're going to win it. But 
it's the same with picking up the guitar and writing a few songs or, or whatever you, you know it's it's a lottery and um some people get lucky and and some people don't although i don't think there's an awful lot of luck in it if i'm honest with you i think if you're good at something and you work hard and uh, you apply yourself and 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 believe in what it is you're doing then you will be be recognized for it at some point you know it might take a few years but but you'll get somewhere with it and and uh um, even if it's just being a big fish in a small pond, I mean that's there's nothing wrong with that either, you know. So I think if, if you can work and if you can carry on working and people like what you do, then then you're doing something right, you know. Well, Daryl, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been a fascinating hour. Um, we just clocked over an hour actually. It's been fascinating. I've th- thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank, well, thanks thank for that. And we do you. hope that you're out playing again as soon as possible and that you must come to the guitar show next year. You, you, you know, when we open up, you must, uh, you must get along. Uh, the NEC? No, I, I can't afford that, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know, the last time I, um, I signed off a, an internal uh, invoice for the hiring of the halls, because I, you know, my office was there as well and I worked for a big company. Um, it was £103,000 just for the oh, space. Jesus. Uh, and so when I um, went solo, I don't pay anything like that. So it's a venue in Birmingham called the New Bingley Hall. Uh, um, you might remember there was a Bingley Hall in Birmingham that was a live music venue, but it burnt down um, oh, right. 25 years ago or something. So it's called the New Bingley Hall. Right. Um, it's uh, it's just outside of the city. It's about a mile outside of the city centre. Um, and, and and it really works. I mean, we get 4,000 uh, plus guitarists over the weekend. Really? Um, yeah. Do um, Gretsch do anything there? Do they have a stall? They, they have done in the past. Um, I suppose you d- do. You deal with Helen at uh, Gretsch. Well, I think yeah, may have done. Yeah, may have done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, they kind of dip in and out because it's the big Fender. You know, Fender have to decide to do it, and then That's Gretsch right. and Charvel and Jackson will come along with yeah. them. Oh, you know, I'm really hoping that they'll do it again in the future they didn't do it last year but they have done it in the past i, I used to deal with a guy called neil witcher oh neil yeah yeah he's now um what is he head of artist liaison based at the london office i think what for fender yeah is he really mm. yeah i i don't think i ever met him it just we just spoke on the phone oh no i did meet him that's right when i when i went to um because they they their their bit was by um john henry's um in london mm. yeah that's right yeah yeah so I went in there one time and um, I only went in there to sign a, uh, you know, sign a contract. And I came out with an amp and a guitar and God knows what else. He gave, gave me a load of stuff. Um, I didn't ask for anything, but um, <laughs> he, he he was brilliant. Neil was, you know. Um, I mean, that's the thing about... That's, the, that's one of the things that I always used to sort of um, strike me as being a bit funny about getting a deal um, was that when you when you're young and you first start playing and you, you spend a few years sort of build your name up and everything, I mean, that's kind of when you need a deal really yeah. you know when you actually get successful and you know i mean as soon as we started making money i mean the first thing i did was go out and buy a gretch because i could afford to buy one you know <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't afford to buy one before then you know oh yeah um, i mean i thought it, it was before we were recording wasn't it? we were talking about you know I, I had to get a bank loan to buy my first proper guitar a les paul yeah. before that i'd had like a hondo les paul a columbus <laughs> les paul and, and they were just awful in yeah, hindsight no. awful awful instruments that never yeah. stayed in tune or anything 
Yeah, oh, I, I had a Hondo. I had a Hondo semi-acoustic. It was a, sort, a, sort of like a, I guess, an L5 rip-off, mm. really. But I remember putting a Bixby on it, and 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 uh, the 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 uh, the body bowed. It, it, it looked like a banana. <laughs> It was it was it was like made of cardboard. I thought, you know, I mean, it was it was an awful guitar. But and I I, I saw one on eBay recently, only very recently, and they wanted like five hundred quid for it. And I know. I thought, Jesus, really? I, you know. I dropped my um, Hondo Les Paul. It came off the strap because I didn't know. You know, I was like thirteen. I didn't know what guitar lock strap locks were. Yeah. And, and um, you know, let's be perfectly honest. I was a massive Kiss fan at this point, so I was just leaping around the room. <laughs> <laughs> not really playing and it came off the start and it hit the floor and the house that my mom and dad had was whilst it had carpet and underlay down was concrete underneath it wasn't floorboards it was mm. concrete and the guitar hit it and it chipped um some of the paint off the bottom of the guitar or the lacquer off the bottom of the guitar and you could see into it and it was hollow and it had been filled with some form of concrete to give it the <laughs> weight <laughs> oh god the guitars, I mean, Jesus. Uh, the first guitar I ever had was a Spanish guitar, which Dad bought for me because, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd heard this Eddie Cochran album and, and I was I was only about five or six and I, and I wanted to be Eddie Cochran, you know. And um, so he bought me this Spanish guitar and the first thing I did was I got, I got a green felt-tip pen and I, and I drew F-holes on it <laughs> and... And the volume knobs and and a G brand, and uh, I got a couple of of uh, drawing pins and a piece of string, and I made a strap by pinning, you know, the drawing <laughs> pins into the. I basically ruined it, you know. I basically destroyed that guitar, and I just used to stand in front of the mirror and pretend I was Eddie Cochran, um, and I didn't bother learning to play the guitar properly till I was probably about twelve or thirteen, and then my mate Joe Chapman, who who was like Upper Coldy Cox's version of Elvis. Um, uh, he lived in a he lived in a in a mobile home at the end of the uh, end of the road, and uh, he looked like Elvis. He sang like Elvis. He danced like Elvis. To me, he was Elvis. He had a pink and black F- Ford console, and he was the coolest bloke in the world with the best record collection of anyone I ever knew. And he sold me my first electric guitar, which was a, a probably a late sixties uh, sort of Strat copy. Uh, and I use that term loosely, and <laughs> and and it and it looked like an ironing board, and 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 it felt like it had six sort of telephone wires as strings, and um, and he sold me an amp that was a rectangular amp. It was a big. I don't know what it was, mm. and uh, that was my first guitar, and um, my first electric guitar anyway, and uh, and 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 it was awful, you know. I mean, I but somehow, you know, I managed to get through all of that and become obsessed with the guitar and and you know went on from there and i had variety of cheap guitars until i bought the first gretch which which was the one of the first 6120s to come into the country after the company resurrect was Mm -hmm. resurrected in the late 80s so i bought it in 89 um from uh, music ground up in doncaster and um and it was delivered to uh, Biggleswade when my mum worked, and um, and uh, it was fifteen hundred pounds back then, so it was a staggering amount of money, you know, um, and and 
and I loved that guitar and and uh, played it you know on everything until it unfortunately it was stolen from a, a, a theater in Melton Mowbray in 98 and then and then I was in that same position where I couldn't afford another another guitar um I was so, well I couldn't afford another Gretsch anyway let's put it that way so I went out into Denmark Street and and I asked them what the cheapest semi-acoustic they had and it, they, they brought out this diamond guitar it was a blonde mm. diamond and um i think it was about 250 quid maybe 300 quid so i said i'll have that and um and i used that for a couple of years um and then so sort of getting into the early 2000s and then ken ashard got in touch with me out of the blue from pv and he said oh i've seen you play i'm a big eddie cochran fan um would you like to come to PV and have a chat about maybe an amp deal. And at the time I was using this um, early 90s Fender Baseman, 59 Fender Baseman reissue, which was really poorly put together. I'd blown three of the speakers. Three of the speakers had been reconed. It was it was always playing up and buzzing and letting me down and everything. And I'd, of course I had this cheap guitar as well. Um, so I, I turned up at uh, Ken's office and and and, and uh, the enforcers were struggling. We had this rotten old PA that was put together from lots of other PAs, you know, and it was all falling apart. And and Ken said, um, "Can I can I interest you in a in a deal with uh, an amp deal?" And I said, "Well, that's very good of you, Ken. I really do appreciate it." I said, "But really, I need a PA and and uh, <laughs> as well as an amp, and I, I need a decent guitar as well." And he said, "Well, it's like I can help you out with all of that except a guitar." Um, he said, unless you've got any ideas. And and so I said, well, do PV make a semi-acoustic? And he said, no. He said, we don't. He said, I don't know why. He said, we've never made one. He said, I've never thought to to to, to uh, put it to uh, Hartley. Um, he said, but, you know, give me some ideas. You know, do, give me some dimensions and a drawing or something, and I'll I'll see what I can do. So I went home. I was living in Burnt Oak with, with Imelda, and... Melda's a very good artist. So I said to her, can you just draw me a picture of a guitar? Here's a, here's a picture of a guitar. Can you just copy that for me? So she drew this guitar for me. And then I phoned up my mate Alan Mills, who had a 6120 and a, and a Falcon. And, and I said, can you give me the dimensions? of? I want the dimensions of the 6120's neck and I want the dimensions of the, of the Falcon's body. So he gave me those and I wrote them on that thing that, that Melda had drawn. And then I faxed that to, to Ken. <laughs> yeah. And, and Ken said, leave it with me. And um, a few months went by and then he, he gave me a call. He said, oh, I want you to come to the office. So I went to the office and he, he handed me two Rockinghams, two PV Rockinghams. Um, and and uh, one was blonde and one was uh, purple. He said, I'll keep the, the, the purple. He said, you have the, the blonde one. He said, they're not really gigging guitars. They're just really demos to, to, to show to the to the uh, to the lads in the office and um try and work out a strategy of trying to sell them you know because it's obviously a very different style of guitar to what pv were used to doing um and 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 lo and behold the pv went into production and, and did relatively well until a few years later uh gretch brought out the um electromatic series which were mm. of course budget gretches and that just destroyed the PV thing, you know, the, the the Rockinghams, you know, almost overnight. But for a few years there, you know, um, I had a decent, a really good PA, 
a good amp, you know, a really good amp with the Delta Blues and the Classic 50. And, you know, I had all of these Rockinghams that, um, uh, and they were really, really good, good guitars. You know, they, they played well. Um, I, I changed the pickups on them from the generic sort of Filtertron type pickups that were, that came with the guitar as standard. But, you know, for 300 quid, you've got a pretty well-made guitar, a decent guitar and a hard case. So, you know, it wasn't a bad. So I suppose that kind of, you know, ties up the podcast from the start to the end, really, because how we met was um, you were promoting that guitar at the NEC. And I remember playing that purple Rockingham at the show. Yeah, I used to really enjoy doing those uh, guitar shows because it's very unusual that you hear rockabilly music in that sort of environment, really, I would have thought, you know. Mm. Um, so and, and, and again, throughout my career, I've always wanted to. You know, I've always had this sort of half and half thing going on in my head of, you know, obviously I want to promote myself and what I do, but I, I really feel very strongly about pr- promoting rockabilly and trying to put that across in a in a decent light as well, you know, um, because uh, I think a lot of people, well, obviously a lot of people do know what, what the music is, but they don't know the ins and outs of it so much. But mm. it's... Um, so it's always been wonderful to be to be able to do things like that, and also it's great to wander around and have a look at all the new gear that's uh, that's out there. And I've been really impressed in recent years with the amount of retro um, equipment that's come out, or amps that are made to look like old amps, and you know guitars that are made to look like old guitars. I mean, I love seeing all that kind of thing, and. Um, the Dan Electro uh, real echo pedal that came out a few few years back was a revelation, really. I mean, that was incredible to have such an accurate tape echo in a digital uh, box like that, you know? It's absolutely yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And, of course, you don't get to know of these things unless you go to, to, to you know, guitar shows like you, you put on there, you know, because it's where you'll see all of that stuff in under one roof. Incredible, exactly. really. Well, Daryl, thank you very much for your time. I know I've said that once already, but thank you very much for your time. It's been fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, well, thank uh, you. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm off to procure myself a copy of your Christmas album because oh. I love a good Christmas album. So, <laughs> he does. Honestly, he really does. I really do. So, really? Uh, well. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's made my day, that, actually. <laughs> well, I can't promise it's a good Christmas album, but I'd, I'd, I, can't, I can't promise it's a Christmas album. How's good. that? Good. That'll, but... that'll do it. That'll nail it for me. So thanks well, th- very much, and hopefully see you soon. Thank you both. Appreciate it, and Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Hold up. 